Today's reading is Psalm 80, verses 1 and 2, and 8 through 19. It can be found on page 544 of the Bibles on the chairs, as well as up on the screen. This is God's word. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might. Come and save us. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, its shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it, and wild animals feed on it. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us, and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. The word of the Lord. invite you to pray with me. Our God of grace, as we come and sit down, um, we have all kinds of different experiences that we bring um, today. Um, Some of them have made us feel distant from you. Some of our journeys, um, it's been a long time since we took seriously our connection to you or our disconnection from you. Some of us have have seeds that were planted decades ago, but we haven't tended to them, we haven't looked to them, we haven't wondered about them. Some of us um, are in other kinds of places as as we feel very connected to you. Something about how you have been present in our lives is so real so uh, loving and gracious and convincing of your, your reality and your presence in our lives that we're, we almost just want to share it with everyone we talk to. Others of us come and we're, we're more ready to share our doubts and our questions and the reasons why even though we're here, we we're almost feel like we're, we're on the way out. And so, so many, almost comical how many different places we, we can be this morning as we sit in this place. 
Um, now we look to this story of grace and these words of grace um, to speak to all of us because really we're all in the same boat in one way and that we're all more of a mess than we care to admit. Each of us, our lives, um, more of, uh, examples of failure seem to show themselves than of success. And especially when it comes to spiritually, we have more flawed devotion than we do um, exemplary devotion. Now, speak into, into our rough edges and into our broken lives, that our lives might be changed by your grace. Because you say that, that even as we are more broken than we want to admit, we are at the same time, through Christ now, more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. May those seemingly contradictory realities resonate and take on a new life of their own this morning in our lives. And may they draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, what's your gardening tip? What is your gardening tip? Anybody have a favorite gardening tip? Garden. Let, let your husband do it. What's that? Don't water the tomatoes. Don't water the tomatoes. Yeah. Somebody, somebody said something about that once. I think it was, um, it was my grandpa who was a farmer. His quote was something like, if you want really beautiful tomato plants with no fruit, then water them all the time. Um, uh, some other, some, so we have this question of the week that you can fill out in the worship guide, and some people filled it out. What's your number one gardening tip? And the answers, uh, your plants, since they are trying to live in dry Sacramento, are dependent on you. This feels more like a sermon here. For, <laughs> pay attention to them. Nourish them with water and plant food. And the light of the sun or the protection of the shade, whatever they need, that was what one person wrote, a very passionate gardener. Um, someone else simply said, don't forget to water, but not too much. And chicken manure goes a long way too. <laughs> long way to stinking up your life. Um, one, other, one other person said, uh, do not covet thy neighbor's garden. <laughs> That's less about the plants and more about your sanity as a gardener, right? So... There was an article in the Sacramento Bee I was blessed by this week because it talked about tomatoes and how they're being really finicky this year. Maybe some of you read that article on tomatoes. It's been a bad year for tomatoes, and I was thinking it was, I was a bad gardener um, this year. But no, it's, it seems to be citywide. Um, tomatoes have not been doing well because there was a, you know, they grew really well, but then there was this crazy, crazy heat patch, and then, so then they just struggled, and then all of a sudden it was good again, so now they're kind of coming back, and... The article quoted this guy who's called a master gardener. What a, what a title, huh? Any of you feel like you're a master gardener? Master gardener, what a concept. Um, and he's quoted, but he, he basically kind of said, yeah, I talked to my other master gardener friends and people, and yeah, I don't know what's going on with tomatoes this year. Um, didn't sound very masterly about it, but he's, <laughs> he kind of seemed like, yeah, hey, I don't know. So we're, we're all given hope through that. Um, Gardens, gardens sometimes feel that way, like it doesn't matter what you do if, you've, if you tried to garden. You know, it doesn't matter what you do, it's just the elements are there and they're going to do what they do and you either luck out or you don't, right? So is that how life is? If we are talking today about the potential of us being like a garden or like a vineyard and God potentially being like a garden or like a gardener, 
life. Is life like that? Like just, hey, hey, it's a good year or a bad year for tomatoes. Is it a good year or a bad year for your life, you know? Um, it's you versus the element, elements in life. You know, there's, hey, there's an invasive beetle this year. Hey, there's a drought this year. Hey, you know, leaf curl fungus kind of took off because of the conditions. A logging, a logging company comes near to your acreage. Um, it's nitrogen deficient soil this year. It's, there's a windstorm, hail or hail dropping out of the sky to destroy the plants. Is this what your life is like? You know, oh, it's a year of flooding. We're in big trouble. And you've probably leaned once in a while into this mentality, right? Um, just in terms of life. Now we're not talking about gardening, but gardening is a metaphor for life. You know, it's the circumstances. It's the conditions. Um, it's the universe, someone might say. It's dealing me a bad hand. Uh, that's why life seems so hard. That's why I eh, just kind of feel eh with God. Or that's kind of why I don't believe in God. Or why I feel so far from this God that I used to admire. Because, you know, just the things coming at me, eh. The spiritual outlook is you versus the elements. Could there be another way? Could there be another way to frame it? Could there be a way to say, yeah, there's the elements, yeah, there's you, and yeah, there's also a gardener. Dare we call him a master gardener? Um, could, I, mean, I don't think it'll surprise you to find that I land with this second option, that that's the one I'm, I'm here to promote this morning, that there's a gardener amidst these conditions. But um, that doesn't mean we're free from surprises today as we look at Psalm 80. So there is a gardener, but and, and you know, the idea of a gardener, isn't it such a pleasant concept? It's a pleasant analogy. You think of this God who just who's just here to water you, this God who's here to pull the, those, those nasty weeds out, this God who's watching over and helping, and if, the, if there is a two-week heat wave coming in, he might put some covering over to protect you. There's a gardener paying attention closely to you. It's a feel, it seems like a feel-good analogy. It seems like a feel-good concept. God's work in the soil. God's transplanting you into the really good soil. But to get to that place of great assurance and great comfort, we have to do business first with some un unsettling things. And that's what Psalm 80 really almost forces us to do before we get to that lasting comfort of this God-gardener person in our life. So we look at Psalm 80, and it's this prayer. It's this prayer to God the gardener. Ancient Israel... Um, praise this prayer, and they're crying out, they're calling out to God, and it's really, it's not, it's not touchy-feely, it's a, it's a complaint to this gardener. It's a complaint that basically is accusing God of being an, a delinquent farmer, a, an absentee gardener. That's what, that's the unsettling accusation in this psalm. And I would say it's a good example of prayer, of a certain kind of prayer, as, some, as, as the people of God in this psalm are taught to have it out with God. Some of you have chosen to be passive-aggressive with God instead. I would say that, that what I mean by that is you've, you've just kind of said for a while, or friends of yours who aren't here <laughs> likely have said for a while, you know, yeah, you know, 
God involved in my life, just this, this, things didn't settle very well, so mm, I'm out. Kind of just, I'm going to take, I'm going to step away. There's sort of a, something challenging about this in the psalm that says, bring, I mean, I don't know if you knew you could do this, but the psalms give you permission, bring this accusation out in prayer to God. Bring out your sense of feeling alone and abandoned and, ab- and there's a gardener who, shouldn't there be a gardener? I mean, the heat is coming down and we're in a drought. Where are you? Gardener, that's kind of what's going on here. It's good theology in a sense. There's a lot of good theology. There's, there's good theology about God because uh, God here is, as you see in the psalm, uh, Psalm 80, you got in verse 8, God is the planter. So he's responsible for, for nurturing your, li- your spiritual life and your thriving. God is the, um, he's the nurturer, not, to, not just planting, but then he goes on to nurture. And then he's also in verse 19 and a couple other places you can clearly see that God is the one they're looking to to restore. He's got, the, he's got mad gardening skills. They think he can come back and he can, he can you know, recultivate and restore. They're giving God a lot of credit in this psalm. It's, it's weighty, hefty theology about God. It's, it's, it's giving God a lot of credit. And included in that is the tough part, the unsettling part, verse 12 in verse 12, we have, Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? And here we have God is so responsible for everything that we're even going to call out him as responsible for the failure to thrive. He's, he's the aggressor in the garden now. They're suddenly turning it on him. And what I would say about that is that it's, it's, it's a prayer that embodies kind of the outer limits of a theology, a belief in God's sovereignty. It's a weighty theological word that says um, God's a lot bigger and a lot more kind of in the orchestration of things than we often give him credit for. And this kind of pushes it to the outer limits, like even... Even some, of the, even some of the failure, the abandonment, the, the stuff's falling apart, we're going we're gonna to put that to God a little bit. Like, what, you've actively been a part of breaking down this wall of the garden. What's going on? Um, one commentator named Marvin Tate says that in this psalm, the psalmist, in other words, the psalm, the, per, the person writing the psalm or voicing the psalm, depicts God as the immediate cause of the clearing, the planting, the dressing of the vine, and likewise the immediate cause of the devastation of the vineyard. In contrast to the beautiful private vineyard that once existed, the broken fence allows strangers to enjoy the fruit, wild hogs to root up the plants so carefully transplanted, and field animals or insects to chew up the foliage and the vines to be cut down and burned in the fire. The sight is so heartbreaking that the speaker can only cry, Oh, God Almighty, verse 14, please turn again, look down from heaven and see. Now, there's some validity to, um, there's some validity to this prayer and to the way that it voices God's sovereignty. There's something else to notice here is that Israel, as they are, this isn't just a, private little psalm for you in your private spiritual life. This, is a, this happens in history. This happens in a point in history in the development of the people of Israel as they have gone into um, exile and their land is no longer theirs and it feels like what this psalm describes. And in doing this, in invoicing this to God, what they are doing in Psalm 80 at least is conveniently avoiding 
in ignoring some major pieces in their failure to thrive story. So not to say that this is a bad psalm, not to say that there's anything misdirected about it, just that it needs to be complemented with some other things. And thankfully, the psalms often do this where they're, they're lumped together. And so you can kind of read from Psalm 78 all the way to Psalm 81 and catch a lot of things that are all interrelated about the people of Israel in their land thriving, but then now in a place where they're saying, okay, God, what, what's going wrong and why is it not why are we not thriving anymore? And so Psalm 81 actually provides us with some of our answer here. When Psalm 81 voices something, and it's, and it's God voicing it now, rather than the people of Israel who are voicing Psalm 80, and, and it's saying this, but my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. I think of it like plants and a gardener, right? My people would not listen to me, Israel would not submit to me, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. If my people would only listen to me, if Israel would only follow my ways, how quickly I would subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Of course, those, those wild boars and the animals picking their fruit, that's what that's alluding to. The, their nation is not safe, their borders have been you know, crossed violently by enemies who are plucking at them. What do we see here as God kind of gives the answer? Well, Israel has a role here, don't they? They have a certain place in this dialogue of the gardener and the plants. Um, now, I, I want to, as a side note, I don't want you to imagine what we're saying here is a, a sort of poisonous theology that says, hey, if something is bad is happening in your life, you better root around and look for what you've done to cause it. You know, God the punisher, always there to catch you is in a sort of karma exchange of you did something bad, now you better go to church and make up because, you know, something else, you know, bad might happen. Um, that, it's not this, that sort of one-for-one one exchange. It's just to say Israel here, what we clearly see is that they haven't opened up the door that they had a role, right, in, in the mess and in the devastation. And that's tough for all of us. It's an uncomfortable truth that we are, if we're to put ourselves in the garden analogy, um, I'm sorry, but, you know, we're not really the, the, the thriving sunflower. <laughs> um, you know, we've got to admit that parts of us, you know, is kind of like uh, we have roots that are sending runners out off the property to other grounds. We have um, branches that are wrapping themselves and going to places um, that they shouldn't go and that are causing trouble. And we have roots that go and send down to look for those polluted aquifers to drink from. And that's just a fact of interacting with God the gardener is to acknowledge. If you don't acknowledge that, you're going you know, to be kind of fooling yourselves the way that Psalm 80 in and of itself can be a psalm that, where you're just fooling yourself. We have roots and shoots that are wild and that exhibit all the things of some of those plants that, are, that you've maybe dealt with, like Bermuda grass, right? And uh, you know, bamboo shoots that's, whose runners go and shoot up new plants impossible to stop 20 feet away. Um, are we a little bit like that in the garden? Well, as, as tough news as that might be, as Psalm 81 also just gives us this clear answer of, of the direction that God goes with his vineyard and with his plants. The direction he's going is, hey, you know, I'm, I'm just looking for you to thrive again. I'm just looking for you to return to me. I'm just looking for you to be willing to be gardened. In many ways, we just have sort of 
pushed away the gardening in different ways in our lives. So Psalm 81 verse 12 and 13 says, you know, uh, if my people would only listen to me and follow my ways, how quickly um, I would subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. In other words, the gardener is just right there ready to return. In, in a way, I wonder if what Israel is not getting in Psalm 80 is that this sort of time of absence is part of God working, part of the gardener at work. Because in the end, they're calling out for the gardener. And perhaps it's this, only this kind of distance absence feeling that they have, even though it's not absent, that's going to get them to finally realize what they need. Frederick Beekner has this quote where he says, Why do people come to church as much as anything else? It is their experience of the absence of God that brought them. They are in search of his presence, he says. And his absence is much what we labor under and are heavy laden by. I wonder if that resonates with you. I wonder how true that is. So we see the nature of God is not, it's not he's not giving up on the vineyard. He's not, um, he's not just there looking to, well, you didn't thrive right away, so, you know, up on the, on the, tr- on the brush pile with the fire, throw a match, let's go, let's, let's move on. But it's this God tenderly waiting and maybe even wisely giving some sense of like, okay, go wild for a little bit. Um, I'm here. Are you going to ask for gardening again? And you see as the story progresses in the New Testament, you see how true this is, how true, how, how incredibly God the gardener pursues his vineyard, his plants, and they're thriving. How incredibly uh, fastidious he is about like, looking to these plants and wanting them to grow, wanting them to thrive, so much so that the Bible predicts, or um, portrays, sorry, Jesus as what? What is he in terms of a vineyard? He's the vine. So now we have the analogies get mixed, and I think there's something about that that's really healthy and that God likes to kind of get our imagination going now that the gardener is now enters in and has is, is become part of the plant. And it's the, the only way it seems that that you can thrive is that if God becomes the main vine and then what can happen is you can connect to that vine and then it's all going to be okay. Then it can work. Then it's, you know, indestructible in terms of a vineyard. Then there's going to be fruit again. And in fact, the Christian view of the Israel story is as horrifying as some of this this chopping, right, and the fire, as horrifying as a lot of this is, the Christian view, the New Testament view of the, of the story of Israel and that, that picture of like an axe, like the gardener at one point wielded an axe. That seems not right. The Christian view of it is that there is, the axe came to the trunk so that the, the stump and the root and the shoot of Jesse and of David is the language, basically Jesus, the son of David, the son of God, could begin the forever now thriving garden. And in fact, then you get into place, so that's sort of John, the gospel of John 15. Jesus saying, I am the vine, remain in me. You are the branches. Whole new way of looking at it. Not this absent gardener, but this present gardener slash vine. And then Romans 11 Deal, talks about how now with Jesus there are all these diverse branches, not just Jews, not just Israelites, but now there's diverse people all around the world being engrafted into the vine. 
Um, all kinds of wild shoots and plants from different places being engrafted so that life can happen, so that there can be thriving. This tenacious seeking of your thriving is what the Bible presents. And one of the things you have to consider is that even, so think about the, just living with that kind of picture. Even the most horrifying, shocking part of this gardening, the axe at the tree, becomes a part of God the gardener's master plan, master gardening plan, for the whole, all the vines of the world to thrive. Um, but he no longer, we don't get the sense in the New Testament that, 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 that the axes are flying, the chainsaws are coming out. There isn't this sense of, um, you know, you have to stand worrying about what might happen next um, in terms of the gardener pulling out the axe. But there is some mention and some discussion about the pruning shears. There's a healthy respect and understanding of God the gardener and pruning happens. Um, one one. One uh, quote that I came across this week, someone from our dive discipleship group mentioned this being really helpful in her life. Any good gardener knows that beautiful roses require careful pruning. Pieces of living plant have to die. It cannot just grow wild. We cannot simply celebrate all growth. It's, it's more than to be regretted. regretted. It is tragic that we seem to have lost that insight that growth in Christ requires careful pruning. So, pruning, maybe, maybe? Is there some aspect of your life that needs to be reframed? You need to just kind of repicture it and consider like, maybe this isn't like, I'm dying. <laughs> maybe it's like, okay, maybe I'm getting, maybe there's some pruning? Like, at least just wonder about that, consider that as the interpretation. Um, one time I was sitting at this, um, in this orchard um, on a retreat, and it's a retreat about two, two miles or uh, two hours north of here in a place called Vina, this monastery where um, Vina, so it, I imagine that's connected to vineyards, and there's vineyards out there, and there's monks on this monastery who serve you wine because their work is to make wine from uh, the fields so that I, I like wine, and that's a very intriguing concept to me to go out on a spiritual retreat and be served wine by these quiet monks. But this story comes from sitting in one of the orchards and just realizing that I was in an orchard that had recently been pruned. So there's sticks all around me, if you've ever seen that. The trees all look very uniform. And I noticed the tree right in front of me as I was thinking about these sticks laying on the ground. I noticed that um, you could see that long ago, probably I don't know how many years earlier, there had been a chop on that tree that was pretty substantial. And it wasn't a huge tree, but the, the circle that that had left was big, was about this big. So a pretty major branch, probably at the time, probably a third or fourth, a fourth of the tree was cut off. And what you could see very clearly, if you looked at it, was that the new branch that had come up in its place was now taking up about half the tree. Healthy new growth, about half of what was there was because at one time, very a knowledgeable, careful farmer had said, this branch is going to get cut off. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to um, kind of give you the breadth of what, you know, how, how, how incredibly good God can be even when we, you know, sometimes most think he's just being absentee. So conclusion, what, what's it like? What's it like for you to picture and think about God the gardener? What is that like for you this morning? 
God the gardener of your, of your soul, of your life? What are, what are the tex- techniques he's been using with you in your life to nurture you, to take care of you, to tend to the soil? What have you noticed? How do you feel about God the gardener? What does he look like? What kind of tools are in his hands? Does he seem close? Does he seem absent? Has he been doing anything lately that's been provoking you to send your roots down deeper? And have you welcomed his activity? Or have you been pushing it away? A variety of different takeaways today. Maybe yours is that you need to confront the gardener directly and just have it out. You need to ask some hard questions. He might ask some back, but it might be time to voice those. Maybe you've been stuffing them. Maybe your takeaway is to open yourself to being watered, to making space to be watered by the gardener. Maybe your takeaway is um, related to places where your roots have gone and they maybe need to be uprooted, maybe transplanted into better soil, more fertile places. Maybe it's, like we said, maybe it's reinterpreting some aspect of your life as God's careful pruning. Or maybe there's some obvious way that you need to seek just greater connection to the vine, to Jesus. Maybe there's just, it's just obvious to you. I, you know, I haven't been availing myself of connection. Maybe it's a, an alone type approach to connecting with God. Maybe it's a community type approach. Maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about and you have something in your head. Maybe you have no idea and you need to talk to me or someone else after the service about connecting more with Jesus and having that connection alive. Because without intentionality, you will always, always, always break away from the vine. <laughs> without, it's just, it's just it, it, I, I speak from experience. <laughs> Without intentional focusing on staying connected, you'll always break off. Now, God keeps accepting me back, and there's no threat in my mind of a, of a brush pile um, and a pitchfork. God the gardener longs to see you thrive, longs to get you connected to the vine. That's his whole business. That's his whole operation. That's what city life is all about. Let him tend your growth. Let's pray. God, would you help us to um, receive your care and your love and your forgiveness and the, the, the touch of the gardener in our life where we need it most. In, in many ways, we need great help through your spirit to do this. Oftentimes we feel we can't even reach out to you on our own unless you help us, unless you spark the interest or the motivation or the inspiration. So do your mysterious work to draw us to you so that we might be more connected to you, that our lives might, as the Bible say, says, even glorify you, even be a, the, the, a great picture of what life in, the gar- in God's garden is supposed to look like. We ask for your help in this. In Jesus' name, amen.